Welcome back to our Film Nerds podcast series on prestige blockbusters, films that were both major commercial successes and critical successes as well. I'm your host, Matt Scalisi, and with us once again is our guest programmer for this series, Ben Stark. Welcome back, Ben. Hello. In our first podcast in this series, uh, we talked about The Empire Strikes Back, which was a hugely influential and successful sequel. And today we're going to take a look at another uh, massively successful sequel, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh, and as we mentioned in, in the first podcast in this series, our requirements for the films in the prestige blockbuster series are they have to have made at least $200 million at the box office and uh, have to have scored at least an 85% on the Rotten Tomato uh, meter there on RottenTomatoes.com. Uh, Terminator 2 did top out uh, just above the limit there at $204.8 million. It was the highest grossing film of 1991, and at, at the time it was the most expensive movie ever made. Uh, so certainly no argument against it being a big-budget blockbuster. Uh, and, and this really surprised me. When you look at Rotten Tomatoes, uh, Terminator 2 scores a 100%, uh, and that's out of, I think, 34 critics. Uh, were were measured for this. Every single one of them gave uh, a positive review to Terminator 2. Um, and just just to give you a brief synopsis uh, of of what this movie's all about, um, it's it's the sequel, uh, just James Cameron's sequel to his 1984 film, uh, which was about a killer robot from the future <laughs> who goes back in time to kill the mother of a man who will later become. The leader of the human resistance in the that war is, in the war against the robots in the future. That is so much less confusing if you don't say it out loud. It if is. You just like, think about it. You're like, oh yeah, cool. It's, and then you say it, and you're like, that's ridiculous. It's pretty convoluted and hard to describe. You know, I actually uh, Ben and I are both uh, recently married guys. I'm sure you've had some experiences trying to bring your wife into certain guy movies, and this was one I really wanted to bring my wife uh, on board with because I thought, you know, she'll she'll there's things about this she'll appreciate and. You know, she says, "Well, what's what's Terminator about? What's the deal there?" And I try to explain this, you know, this this kind of ridiculous plot to her. It it uh, it's so much more absurd when you say it out loud than than when you're watching the movie in you know inside yeah. the story. It seems to all seems to yeah, all make a lot more yeah, sense cool. to you. Yeah, but then you actually say, it and you're like, "That sounds really silly." Yeah. <laughs> well, so so basically, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is is an evil robot in the original Terminator? We come back in uh, in 1991, and he's he's actually a good guy now. He's a he's a good robot that has now been sent to protect uh, the young leader of the human resistance. And there's there's now a new bad guy who is played, uh, I guess, by several actors, but mostly by Robert Patrick. He's a he's a shape shifting piece of liquid metal that kills people. Um, and now there's, you know, there's a lot of reasons this movie became a big hit. Um, but I think the like, there are a lot of movies we can we can point to that are similar to this, but it comes down to one effect, one character that really puts this movie over the top and and 
is this movie's big thing. It's what makes this movie an event, and it's the Robert Patrick character. It's the T-1000. Is that is that what it's called? It's the T-1000. Okay, so, you know, that's, that's what made Terminator 2 a major cultural event, uh, and it's because this, this was the first time ever that we have a, a CG character who is a major part of the story. He's, he's a main player in the story, and there are uh, large portions of the film where he is uh, computer-generated, and, and, you know, it's really, I think it holds up today. I think it's a good-looking visual effect, um, you know, but at the time, it was mind-blowing. It was something that people had never seen at the movies before. Um, talk about why this, this visual effect was was so important for the success of this movie, Ben, and, and really what it's done for movies in general. Um, I don't know if I would, I would say that it's it's why the movie was an event film. Um, I think I think what made well, it... I think, event, is what, I think it's what puts it over the top, really. Right. Yeah, but I mean, to think about it, at the time, it was, a, it was an Arnold film that wasn't a joke, right? So it wasn't Commando. Or one of those Arnold films that's kind of, right. you know, joke. It's a serious-minded Arnold film where he's like a, a serious character um, from the guy that made Aliens and The Abyss, which had both, you know, caused quite a stir. And then and then the original Terminator had had how many years? What, six, seven years to kind of seep into the culture and it had a, like almost a cult following at that point. But I do, I do agree that when... You're sitting in the in the in the theater looking at a trailer for T2 uh, in 1990. Let's say um, you probably you're probably like cool, you know, another Terminator. Movie. And then you see that effect, and yeah, I think you're right that that's the thing. You're like, how how they do that? That's that is blowing my mind. I think that's what pulled in, say, you know, the people adult, that adult go see anyway. Yeah, adult women, okay. for instance. I think that's I think those are the kind of things that that people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think people. Is that who, when you when you told your wife about it? Was she like, "Hold on, did you say liquid metal"? <laughs> no, you know, I think, I think at the time, you know, this this was a uh, the early '90s, and we're going to touch on this a lot in this series. The early '90s was a, was a time when uh, visual effects were becoming more important than ever to uh, a film's box office success, and it's because there were so many new innovations. There were, it was almost like kind of the dawn of sound almost all over again, you know, sound in film, because suddenly uh, we're seeing filmmakers... <laughs> not, the down, the, not the dawn of sound. Uh, not sound itself, not the actual, you know, the actual organ of the ear, but, but you know, there's suddenly there are things that filmmakers are able to do uh, that were never possible before, and that people had never seen before, and it, it made... It almost made going to the movies a bigger deal again, um, right. because because you know it, it was finally a chance where sure th- this movie's got all the things I like in a movie. It's got uh, it's got actors I know and it's got a cool story and it's got violence and explosions, <laughs> but it's also got something I've never seen in a movie before, Absolutely. which is liquid metal walking out of a fire. Right. Yeah, and I think it's what's really cool is that um, or really interesting is that it couldn't have been made any other way. You know, it's like they, they had this character, they had him in the script, and then they looked at the page, and they were like, all right, so how are we going to do this? And I guess they could have done stop-motion animation, but I think that kind of would have felt like, even at the time, a huge step backwards, you know? Um, and they do mix it with puppetry uh, throughout the film, you know? If his, his, if his head is blown off uh, and he's running around like that, it's, you know, he's wearing a big hat that right. looks like uh, his head got blown off. Uh, so, 
So I, I, they mixed it with makeup and puppetry and stuff like that for, for a few of the gags in the movie. But I think the seamless transformation between man and metal or, you know, two characters, the only way to do that was computer computer animation. And uh, I think that's what makes it interesting is that it's just, it, it was necessity, you know? it's We got to do it this way because it's not going to get done if we don't. Uh, but I would say that it's it's a big moment in like movie magic kind of history. Um, like I said, they had to they had to do it this way. But I think what's interesting is the idea that they had, you know, um, the the kind of organic evolution of machines that as they become more advanced, more sentient, more intelligent, they begin to look more and more like us, you know, like they're they're making themselves more and more like their makers. And I think that's a really kind of it's really well illustrated in the movie because he, you know, literally turns into, you know, a, a, an effigy of humans. But I think it's really scary. Um, it's a really scary idea that machines are just going to keep keep growing, keep getting smarter, uh, keep getting more self-aware until they're just fake versions of us. Of us. And I think it's a really smart and a, a really good idea that, that Cameron set up. And And part of the, you know... Part of what you're talking about, you know, the production value is obviously big for this movie. It's it's an impressive movie to look at, but there's really a lot going on with this with this screenplay, and that's obviously why it was selected for this series. This is not just a dumb action movie, um, and if you if you haven't seen this movie in a while, it might be worth taking another look again. Um, this was a this was a film that was uh, pretty well respected at the time by the critics, actually. Um, and you know, I, I've got a, I've got a quote here that I found when I was you know researching this movie about Cameron's screenplay, which he actually I, I think he co-wrote it with a guy named William Wisher. Um, but this is a quote from Sid Field, who's kind of the the screenwriting guru, uh, at least at least uh, you know to some people. But he he says that every scene in Terminator Two sets up the next, like links in a chain of dramatic action. And talk about that a little, Ben, as a as a guy who does this, you know, sort of for a living, or at least for more than more than the rest of us. You know, talk about the sort of things that we overlook in this Terminator Two screenplay, and and what's so impressive about it. Um, I think it. I think it's a good screenplay, and I think he's kind of correct, Sidfield, um, there. But I almost I almost disagree with that, and uh, I'm about to I'm about to make make our ratings drop um, <laughs> substantially because, uh, you know, T2 doesn't necessarily hit me as uh, as one of – it's not – I, I kind of think it's a little bit overrated. Um, there, I said it. Um, I, maybe it's because I've seen the, the kind of fatty special edition with a bunch of extra stuff thrown in more times than I should have. Um, or maybe it's the performances. But I think the screenplay, I think it's smart and the ideas it presents. I think it's tense. But it, it doesn't really hit me on an emotional level. So while it may work as as a string of um, well-paced and well-set-up um, action scenes or kind of revelation scenes, um, I don't think it, it works on a kind of a basic human, I, I want to keep watching this because I care about the people level. Um, but I think I think Cameron and Wisher, they, they, they go for really really staggering emotional highs and lows, you know? Especially for a mainstream film, a big action movie, they go for some stuff that's really kind of like hard to think about, you know. Um, and they go for some pretty intense emotional stuff with with her being locked up and with you know with her watching a mother and a child be 
reduced to cigarette ash by a nuclear bomb. Um, but I think there's something, when I watch it, there's something that's standing between myself and the characters. Uh, I think there's a cynicism to the screenplay that hurts it a little bit. I think Cameron maybe agrees with with Sarah Con- like he feels like Sarah Connor a little bit too much. I think he, he takes a little bit of too much joy in how she completely dismantles the the sleazy hospital workers. And if I can go off on a brief James Cameron tangent, I think that's kind of where Cameron usually loses me. He he has this this as a writer, he makes these sleaze bag characters that you can tell he hates. Like he like if if he had a T1000 um Play-Doh machine or something, he would like make these characters and then like be like no and like rip them up because he hates them so much. <laughs> and he takes, I, I feel like he takes a lot of joy in kind of brutalizing his sleazeball characters that he makes. Um, and it works in True Lies with the Bill Paxton character, who's you know who's hilarious and he, he's more of humiliated than he is physically brutalized. But I think, it, it, I think Paul Reiser gets it in Aliens, does he not? Yeah, but yeah, and uh, then it, yeah. But I think one of the reasons I like Aliens more than T2 is because the Paul Reiser character is, maybe they spent a little less time on him or something, but he's he's not as sleazy, and he's you can kind of see his motivation a little bit more. But I think uh, I think it's just an easy screenplay thing to go after, you know? Or if, look, if I just make these hospital guys disgusting <laughs> and lick Sarah Connor's face while she's sleeping, uh, and everybody, over the top. everybody's going to pump their fists when you know he gets his face broken in half with a with a billy club and uh but i think i also think the connors are a little bit hard to relate to i think she's yeah i'll agree with you there you know okay. i, I good, think I'm not alone. no look i i i'm not going to argue with you that this is that this is casablanca we're talking about i i think is you know when i talk about the value of this screenplay i i, I do i do mean kind of the the pacing of it the 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 but level even of it, the level Even of excitement that- staying up, yeah. The Edward Furlong character, and maybe it's the performance. Uh, it's ridiculous, yeah. And that's that's one of the things that we talked about. My wife watching the movie. That's one of the first things she picked up on. She said, "Really, you know, people liked this kid, this little uh, snotty uh, catchphrase spouting, yeah. you know, teenager. You know, it's it's pretty ridiculous. His his whole." Uh, I'll be honest. When I was eight years old, I was terrified. Of, I was so of Edward Furlong. Yeah, I was like, if I see this kid, he's gonna beat me up, and he's gonna make fun of me, and he's gonna make fun of my glasses. We all knew, we all knew Edward Furlong in our class. He was the kid that you know would like, he he'd take your homework and burn it with his cigarette lighter that he somehow got from his parents. You know, yeah, it was, it's, it's terrible. Sex. Yeah, and he but, had sex with like everybody. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a ridiculous character, and and I think. There is a lot of dialogue, particularly the stuff that pertains to him and and the Terminator, uh, that that is a little uh, cheesy and it's made to be printed on lunch boxes and T-shirts. Um, but I, you know, I think what, like I said, what impresses me about this, you know, when you when you start watching this movie, it almost doesn't give you a breath for the first yeah. uh, forty five minutes. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just a. You know, it's a it's an amusement park ride, and and right. it doesn't. It's not to the point where you get confused with what's going on either. It's I think it's very well uh, set up, and it's uh, it's crafted to the point where you're never you're never confused about what's happening, but you don't really get a chance to rest. Yeah, and I think 
I, I think maybe we might be simplifying it a little bit too much. I wonder if, if he intentionally made the Connors kind of unlikable because we're supposed to care not about them but about what they're fighting for, you know, about like – Sure. It doesn't matter they're who – They're heroes, yeah. Got, somebody's got to do it, you know. And I think maybe maybe that's intentional. Maybe James Cameron, you know, not such a good screenwriter. Um, but I, I again, I have to argue I don't even – as a forward-moving kind of like – action monster, you know, that's like tension builds and gets delivered, tension builds and gets delivered in kind of like a set em up kick em over fashion. I don't think it's as good as like Raiders of the Lost Ark, of course, uh, or like if you've seen the 39 Steps, the Hitchcock movie, um, or like even Die Hard, um, or even the Bourne Ultimatum or something like that. I don't think, <laughs> I feel like those movies move quicker, move faster, set up stuff, answer questions, and then ask another question where you're like, oh, holy crap, and then pay off better than, than Terminator 2. I think Die mind. Hard's actually a great comparison with this movie. Um, and, and in fact, this movie actually turns into Die Hard for a little bit, for, for about a 30-minute portion of yeah. this movie, uh, where they're holed up in the in the uh, Cyberdyne building, and it becomes this sort of ridiculous, uber-violent shootout with the, with the police. And, um, you know... I, I think you might have a point. Maybe this movie's trying to do a little too much, um, and and I, I certainly think when you walk away from this movie, you don't feel unsatisfied with the experience you've had. I think they uh, they. I feel unsatisfied as a human, but <laughs> but not as a machine that watches things move quickly and yeah. blow up. That part of me is completely satisfied. Well, let's 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 talk about uh, the effects of this movie. You know. Um, we talked. We talked about uh, being kids and fearing Edward Furlong. But you know, this this movie came out when, when both of us were, uh, you know, kind of elementary school. I know I was about eight or nine when this came out, and you know, it was obviously an R-rated movie, uh, and it's extremely violent. But I remember just about everybody I knew uh, saw this movie. All my friends, and I didn't get a chance to see it until, you know, until I was a little bit closer to the appropriate age, maybe about. Uh, Last 50- week. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, researching it for this podcast. But, um, you know, what was your – first off, what was your personal experience with this movie? And then, you know, looking at today, um, what do you feel like the cultural footprint has been for Terminator 2? I think it's funny because I also didn't get to see it in the theater. I, it was a while before I saw it. I think if we were friends when we were kids, uh, we would have been hiding in the Hook Theater <laughs> Edward for a long. But do you uh, remember this being such a big deal? Yes, do you remember this yes, sort of I pervading really the culture at the time, you know? Absolutely. Um I wasn't I wasn't excited for it. I didn't care that it came out. Uh like I said, it was the year Hook came out. And I was like, Hook, sounds good to me. And Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was out, and that's that was like the movie the, those were the movies that I was really into at the time. Um, which by the way they haven't survived quite as well as T two. Um but uh like I said, the, but like you were talking about the cultural impact, I remember my best friend at the time would not shut up about Terminator 2. And he talked about how great the movie was. Um, he told me all about the Terminator kind of mythos and backstory. And he even told me, like, why the, the Arnold robot is impervious to bullets and, like, how the piping in his skeleton <laughs> is laid out. Uh, and that was, I, probably, it, that was probably in, like, the... The companion book that came yeah. with Cameron yeah, had nothing dad, to do with his that. Dad yeah. Shut him up! Just like told him all this stuff on the way home from the theater. <laughs> That's what I always imagine. Um, but like I like I mentioned, I didn't see it until I, I saw it on on tape 
my dad got it. Um, we only watched R-rated movies. We didn't go to the theater a whole lot anyway, but we only watched R-rated movies um, on video when my dad was just like didn't care enough to kick us out of the room. And I, I remember I, it didn't really hold my interest, um, and I didn't really watch it as a you know as a film until probably the late '90s. And then even then, um, even then I was just like, oh, that's it's really good. And then over even then since then it's just kind of gone down in my in my in my own regard. Um, but it, I do respect it as as what it is. Um, I do think Cameron's masterpieces are True Lies and Aliens. They they I think they're both smarter. Uh, a little bit lighter, uh, a little bit more human, and uh, they, and both of them for me are more tense. I think Aliens is a better forward-moving kind of thrill ride um, than T2. But I would say, go ahead. Uh, I just I just think I think we'll have to have an Aliens podcast at some point one day. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, I regret cutting that one, but <laughs> uh, but I think. I, like I said, I have a lot of respect for it, and it's not a bad movie by any means. But and I and I understand that today it's like the the mainstream definition of what we would call what we're calling a prestige blockbuster. You know, when you whenever a mainstream kind of smash hit comes out that everybody is also likes and critics like, they immediately compare it to Terminator Two, um, and they immediately kind of that's that's where I got the idea for the series actually. Um, the, after after the Dark Knight came out, and there's the the Terminator Four, I guess it is, uh, yeah. trailer came out. Um, a lot of people on uh, a lot of the talkbackers, <laughs> I sound awful saying that. A lot of the talkbackers on Ain't It Cool News um, were debating which is better, the Dark Knight or T2, because they they kind of, I even though their two films are really far apart topically and stylistically and in many ways. But they are similar because they both – you can tell the, the filmmakers both are striving for kind of a high art, but at the same time, lots, lots of high dollars too. Um, so I think I, I understand it as, as being that, and I respect it for being that. Um, I just don't necessarily agree that it's a 100% it movie. You know, I'd give it an A-B+, minus B plus if I had to throw that out. I think that's fair. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave it there for Terminator Two, and um, join us next time when we will be discussing Jurassic Park. I know this should be a good one. Uh, finally, getting to uh, Stark's homeboy Spielberg. So, yeah. make sure you don't miss that one. Thanks for uh, joining us again, Ben. Thank you.